0: The broken covenants. So, um, excuse me? No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. The broken covenant. Okay? This is one of the covenants. Now, um, you you could probably make nine and, and get creative, but basically understand this. The Bible has seven major covenants. Um, that, That as we go through where God made covenants with his people, the Adamic covenant or the Garden of Eden, the covenant that was given in the Garden of Eden, then the Adamic covenant, obviously given to Adam, the Noahic covenant that God made with Noah, the Abrahamic covenants that God made with Abraham, the one I think we would be the most familiar with would be the Mosaic covenant, and that's the covenant that God made with Moses. The Davidic covenants, which God made with David, one of them being that that, that David, from David's line, would come Messiah and that God would build David a house. And then we have the new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31, which is what we live under today, the new covenant. Now, of the seven covenants or major, I think, like I said, I... I think we could stick to seven. I, some people came up with nine, including some of the new covenants involved in there. But basically, the Edemic, Adamic, Adamic Noaic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and the new covenant makes seven. Um, in those seven covenants that God made, one of the things that you and I need to understand um, is that four of them were unconditional. And God said to Abraham, no matter what you do, this is going to happen. And, and three of the covenants that God gave were if Then or but if clauses, meaning if you obey, then I will bless. But if you disobey, then I will curse. And so in our life as Christ followers, there's some things that God has just promised over your life that are unconditional and you can't affect them. But one of the things that you can never get away from is understanding that part of your walk as a Christ follower is an if then clause. And if you're obedient and if you stay under the umbrella of God's blessing, then God will bless. But if you get out from underneath that umbrella, that, that God will and, and I don't even know that I should necessarily that God will curse, but you will, you will be cursed, or you will live apart from the protection and the blessing of God in your life. And there is a part of us at New Testament Christ followers that would fall under, un, uh, under God's conditional promises. So again, of these seven major covenants that we find in our Bible, four unconditional, um, three conditional. And so um, this had reached the point in Jeremiah when they had broken one of the covenants. And and we'll look at some of the places in the Bible where we see these covenants. But again, as I study my Bible, I know the things that God has spoken over my life. You know, Ephesians chapter 1 is my go-to chapter if I need to encourage myself or I need to be reminded of who I am in God. And what my position is in Christ, and again, eleven different things that God says over my life in in Ephesians chapter one that I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted, I'm I'm chosen, I'm accepted in the beloved, and on and on, forgiven, redeemed, and and eleven different things that God speaks over my life positionally in Ephesians chapter one, and I understand that as a Christ follower, I understand I can't lose my salvation. Understand that I'm I'm secure in Christ and that God loves me and that God's love for me is never, regardless of what I do, there's no condition on God's love. God has chosen to love me and the Bible says if I make my bed in hell, God loves me. That neither height nor depth nor created things nor things to come nor things past nor anything um, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's an unconditional condition over your life, God's love for you. That's why the Bible says God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But the reality is as secure as we are positionally in Christ, and knowing our position in Christ helps us to move forward because we move forward as Christ followers from the position of the goodness of God. And it's the goodness of God that motivates me to serve him, not the, the being scared of hell or cursing and all these things. The Bible says we're not motivated as humans as flesh. We don't get motivated by the negative. And the Bible is very clear in multiple places. It's the love of God that that motivates me. It's the goodness of God that brings me to repentance, not not the wrath of God. And just that's the way it is. That's the way I respond. And so having those things, having those conditions, those unconditional promises in my life as a Christ follower, they motivate me. You know, what motivates me is that one day I'm going to see Jesus. And on that day I want to have something to offer him on that day listen you 're going to see jesus that 's a reality of your life whether you, whether you go to heaven or hell you' you 're going to meet Jesus one day and and i 'm pretty confident that everybody in this room is going to heaven and and, and it 's not about whether you 're going to get into heaven, but when you look face to face with Jesus, I want to have something to offer him when I stand at the beam of seat of Christ and I look into the eyes of fire. I want to be able to say, I, I, maybe I didn't give you the world, but you know, I, I didn't sit on my hands. I wasn't the guy that buried the talent that you gave me with excuses. I tried. I did something. This is what I did for the kingdom of God. That's what I did for you, Jesus, and I'm going to see Jesus. That motivates me. Now, I also understand that there's conditions in my life as a Christ follower, and I can't live my life however I want in disobedience to what God has and says and expect blessing. The Bible says, thy word is a light unto my path, and that's speaking of of night, and a lamp unto my feet, or the light is is the day, and the lamp is the night, the day and night, that God's word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet, that God's word guides and leads me. And it says, thy word. Just think of the very first word, thy. It's God's word. You have God's word on your lap. And God's word guides you and it leads you and it calls you to things and it calls you to holiness and it calls you to a relationship with Jesus and to an intimacy with God. But there are definitely conditions of blessing and of cursing that we, in new, as New Testament Christians, New Covenant believers, in these, in these seven covenants that are laid out, that we laid out, that we, we live in the seventh, the, the New Covenant, even though the, these things that I'm going to share with you are old testament and were about and were given to the Jews again I'm making a case that that we have the same thing in the new testament we have the same thing god god's word is very clear right and listen god doesn't god god's not in the business of punishing you the bible says that that, that it's a natural reaction to the choices that we make you jump off the roof you break your legs god didn't Break your legs because of you, you jumped off the roof. Gravity broke your legs. There's a result of sin. You, you, you go drink and you get in your car and you crash. God didn't make you crash because he was judging you for your sin. It was a result of your sin. The Bible says your sins will find you out. And so as we get into chapter 11... Um, Jeremiah is being called now and it says in chapter 11 verse 1 the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying hear the words of this what covenant and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them thus says the Lord God of Israel cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this what covenant and when I commanded your fathers in the day, I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you, so that you shall so you so shall you be my people, and I will be your God. I love that when God says that. He says that in the book of Revelation, that in heaven, that we'll be his people, that he'll be our God. And so this is the place, and now Israel has come to this. This really broken place. And we've been talking about the depravity and really the, the new low that, that the nation of Israel comes to leading up to this Babylonian captivity that's coming. And the prophet Jeremiah, do you remember, you know, um, in the New Testament, you said, which of the prophets did you not kill? And they, they killed the prophets. They saw in Isaiah in 2, and, and they're going to desire to kill um, Jeremiah and reject these words of the Lord. But in this place where we're studying in our Bibles tonight, Israel has really reached a new low. And even previously to some of their, 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 their previous things, and this is the place where God is bringing the word that they've broken his covenant, and, and it's, 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 again, being prophesied, being the um, word of the Lord coming through Jeremiah. Now, real quick little side note. We talked about that in Jeremiah's 40-year ministry, um, and again, no fruit in his ministry that, that, that it's to speak of, obviously tons of fruit, and God was using it regardless, and, and we don't measure the, our effectiveness for God based on how many people showed up to his church services how many people repented and changed, because if, if that's how Jeremiah measured his ministry, we know that he, he had zero effect. Nobody changed. Nobody came. Nobody really made a difference, and so I'm sure it made it hard in the flesh but a great success, and I'm sure Jeremiah is not in heaven today bummed out like, oh, you know, I'm sure he's thanking the Lord for, 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 for everything that God did through his life and ministry here. But in this, in this season of this 40 years, remember we talked about in the first week, and now you got to go way back, a couple months back. In the first week, we talked about there's a succession of kings that were ruling in the southern part of Israel during um, the reign of, Jos- uh, during, the reign of uh, during the prophecies and the ministry of Jeremiah, and the most notable one that we talked about was a young man whose name was Josiah. Josiah becomes king at eight years old, and Josiah is the one who found the the, the copy of the Torah, had it read, caused a revival. It was a superficial revival, and, and Jeremiah is ruling, and under his reign, there's this really superficial um, revival of the Word of God in Israel. And, and again, remember, we don't forget in the context that the. Um, You know, again, new low for Israel, right? Major, major new low depravity, but even in that season, there's this superficial revival. Well, right here in chapter 11 in this place, um, Josiah, because of his pride, he goes to war with Egypt. And God never called him to go to the war. God never told him, hey, you know, saddle up. So he goes into battle, and you don't want to go into battle where God hasn't called you. And Josiah is killed in this battle. And then Egypt uh, uh, kind of raises up the next king, his name is Jehoiakim, and then Jehoiakim, but he only reigns for like three and a half months, and then the, the ruler in Egypt decides that he's not the right guy, and he doesn't like what he's doing, so he deposes him and raises up Jehoiachin, Kim, Chin, I don't know which one came first or second, but the chins and kins of the Jehoias um, in, in this thing, and, and then he doesn't last long, so that's just in the context of where we are in 11. Now, um. I want to do something, and I think we just need to do it tonight, and it's just a little bit of reading, but I think it's important, and it's the Word of God, so I know it won't come back void, but turn back with me, if you will. I want to go to um, um, Jerem- I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 29, hold a finger there, hold a finger in Jeremiah 29, and then find Leviticus 26. Jeremiah 29, I'm going to read in Leviticus 26 first. Leviticus 26, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 29, hold a finger there, and then turn to um, Leviticus 26. And if you guys are on your phones, just go to Leviticus 26, and then we'll go to Deuteronomy next. In Leviticus chapter 26 is, is where this covenant, um, part of this covenant was laid out by God. And, and I don't know what to call this, I tried to Google the, I, I wanted to call it the if-then but if is probably the, the probably the scripture that's used in verse 14. It says but if, or the but if clause or whatever. But it's, it's um, basically, again, you find this type of conversation that God has with his people, Old and New Testament all the way through. And it goes like this in verse 26. Now, God laid out the rules, and the rules were fair. The rules weren't terrible. God wasn't, you know, he's not a tyrant, and he wasn't making rules that were just, you know, Jesus said, my burden, my yoke is easy and what? My burden is light. And, that, and, and, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, God's yoke and his burden was, yoke was light and his burden was easy on the Old Testament. So these rules aren't, aren't terrible. They're not bad. And it says, you shall not make idols for yourselves. Neither carved images nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves. Nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. Do you know what they found in the ruins of of, of, of Judah and Samaria after the time of the Bab- before the time of the Babylonian captivity? Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of these little idols in Israel that the Jewish people had during this time of Jeremiah, in, in, in found in the ruins. Um, all, all these idols. Now, what's fascinating, I've shared this with you guys before, but God said the Babylonian captivity was going to cure them of their idolatry, and, and they go 70 years into Babylon, and then they're brought out under Ezra and Nehemiah, and they don't go back into that type of carving idols, idolatry, you don't see it in their history after that. But prior to that, full of idols, and God said, don't do it, don't have carved idols, don't have images. Um, you know, as, as Christians, God's part of the word is to have no, gar- no graven images before me. And then in verse 2 it says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last until the time of the sowing. You shall eat of your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. So he's talking about safety. He's talking about having plenty of food, plenty of rain, the crops. Um, you know, one of the things that God promised the, the nation of Israel, that if they, if, they, if they honored the Sabbath, that God would honor their crops. And so in the sixth year, they would have bumper crops because this, the whole seventh year, God said, take it off. And they didn't do it because they were greedy. I'm like, how dumb were they? God gives you a whole year off. He says, every, once, one, once a week, you take one day a week off. And then every seventh year is a Sabbath year, so you get the whole year off. And in the sixth year, I'll give you a bumper crop that'll last through the entire seventh year. And let the land rest. And they didn't do it. Thinking I would have taken the seventh year off. In verse six, it says, I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. No safely, no nothing to be afraid of. I will rid the land of evil beasts. The sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. That's God's math, by the way. Can you guys follow God's math in verse 8? If five chase a hundred, and a hundred of you, it's exponential. Then all of a sudden, a hundred can chase ten thousand. Verse 9, for you, for I will look on your on you favorably, and I will make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat of the harvest, the clear out of the old, because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall shine upon you. I walk among you and your God, and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be, be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke, and made you walk upright. Now, verse 14 is where he's going to change, and we, here's where we get the but if clause. But if you do not obey me, and do not observe all these commandments. If you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever with small, con- small consume the eyes of the co- and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and, I, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make heavens like iron and the earth like bronze, and on and on. Then if you walk, and if you walk, now go to Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy... More of this um, same idea. In um, Deuteronomy 29, it says, verse 1, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen. The signs and those wonders. In verse 12 it says, That you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath with the lo- which the Lord your God makes with you today. That he may establish you today as a people for himself. And that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you. And then if we go to chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. And it says, Now it shall come to pass... Verse 1, all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, and that your children with all your heart and with all your soul, you and your children. Now, one of the things that I constantly point out to you guys, I have it underlined in verse 2, the word all Heart and all soul. God's word, listen, there's always a qualifier. He says, I want you to seek me. And then you find this qualifier. And it's consistent all the way through the word of God where he says, I want you to seek me with all your heart, with all your might. You know, I often bring up Jeremiah 29, 13. That if you seek me with all your heart, then you will find me. And if you seek me with all your heart. And so God wants you to seek him. God's promise over your life is that if you seek him, he will be found. If you pray to him, he will listen. He will hear you. But whatever reason, God doesn't accept, you know, a half heart. He doesn't accept you phoning it in or going halfway or just, oh, I just want to do enough, you know, and to to get a blessing. But if you come with a whole heart, the heart of King David, if you come with your whole heart, God's promise to you is that God will hear you. And God will bless you. And it's always, again, always that qualifier. Seek me with all your heart. And there's, you know, I I, I go through it all the time, so I'm not going to do it now, but so many examples in the Bible. Joshua, Psalms chapter 1, over and over and over again. Verse 3 says, That the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. You know, they've been scattered. Israel's been scattered. This, this is a promise that's, you know, repeated throughout Israel's history where they're scattered and brought back, scattered and brought back, scattered and brought back. If, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there He will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land with your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, And the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Is that terrible? Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and not you and on those who hate you, who who persecute you. Now, jump to verse 14. And it says, but the word is very near you and in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you. Today, life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you possess. And now we have these two famous words in verse 17. Again, I have them highlighted in red in my Bible. What are they? Okay, but if. Listen. Listen, Linda, the Bible has some but-if clauses. I know this is Old Testament, but it is the reality of being a Christ follower today. There's a but-if part of us walking with the Lord. You know, John Corson says, and I love it, you know, it's something that I, I, I stole, and I, I, I can't tell you if, if there's one thing. You know, you ever see those stories where, you know, maybe it's a funeral, and they say, what did your dad tell you, you know, and what did, what did your dad, you know, I hope that if I ever ask my boys, What's the one thing that that your dad told you more than anything else or that he really drove into you, you know, was this idea. I can't tell you how many times I told my boys, stay under the spout where the blessing comes out. You know, there's, there's this idea of walking with Christ. And if you get out from underneath the umbrella of God's protection and your life is going sideways, don't complain. Don't whine. Definitely don't mock God or be angry with the Lord because you're not being blessed. Because if you stay... Under the spout where the blessing comes out, if you stay under the umbrella of God's protection, God's promises over your life are yes and amen. And again, I'm not talking about not facing struggles or trials or tough things. That's not what I'm talking about. But again, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And there, there is this but if. And God says in verse 17, but if your heart turns away, So that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish, you shall not prolong your days, and then they perish, and what do they do? Oh God, why? Why am I perishing? God's such a tyrant, God so terrible, why am I perishing? In verse 20 it says that if you that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice. Do you know what God's will was for Adam and Eve? And do you know what God's will is for you and I today? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we, we, we see this kind of, you know, maybe false dichotomy of this, these kind of polar opposites as we think of the Old and New Testament God. But it doesn't exist. You know, definitely there are some differences in the way that God dealt with people in the Old Testament and, and the way he deals with people in grace, but understand this all the way through. We're going to hit it hard uh, on Sunday when we, get to, when we get to Hebrews chapter 11 that, that people were saved from Adam and Eve to you and I. We all get saved the same way. We're saved by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God's heart... For his people in the Old Testament is the same as his heart is for the people in the New Testament. God's heart for, for people from Adam and Eve today, 6,000 years of human history has never changed. God, 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 and it's clear all the way through the word of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors, yourself. What does God want for your life? He wants what Mary had in the tomb when she saw two angels and wasn't impressed and, and just said, where's Jesus? I want Jesus. That, that's what God wants. He wants that heart of Mary that Mary had in your, heart, in, in your life and my life. When, uh, when the people of Israel were um, to come into the land, they came um, through Shechem, and, you know, Jericho was the first story and the first conqueror, but as the nations came through, God, um, in Joshua chapter 8, and it's in, it's in Jewish history, and you could, you could look it up, but there's, um, there's two mountains there in Shechem. One is called Ebal, and one is called Gerizim, and there's a valley in the middle. And he divided the 12 tribes of Israel, six and six, and six of the tribes went up onto Mount Ebal, and six of the tribes went, went up onto Mount Gerizim. And, and the people, the, 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 the host of Israel stayed in the middle. The representatives of the 12 tribes went up six and six. And on Mount Ebal, they would, they would proclaim the the curses of the promises of God. And when the, when the people would hear it down below, they were to say amen. And then on the other side of the mountain, they would proclaim the blessings of God in this what-if clause, in this idea of if you do this, God will bless you. But if you do this, then, then this will happen. And if you do this, God will bless you. But if you do this, then this will happen to you. And so they were told. God instructed them that when they go into the land, that they were to remember this covenant that He gave, and this was the ceremony that they did on Ebal and Gerizim there, as they would come. And for whatever reason, um, when when they when the the six tribes would pronounce the blessings, part of the the half and half, the but if they wouldn't say Amen. Um, some have said that you know it's it's easy to to Amen a blessing. Hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Amen. That's easy to say Amen to that. But for God, you know, you're going to face some struggles in your life as a Christ follower. It's a little harder to say amen to that, right? And they have to trust the Lord and it takes obedience. But anyways, nonetheless, that's that's what they did with this. All right, back to Jeremiah. Let's go to verse 5. It says that that I... That I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. And I answered and said, so be it, Lord. And, and that so be it there, what is that? Amen. What does amen mean? So be it. So be it. That's what amen means. So be it. Amen. Hey, do you guys know that idiom, right, that, that um, it's a land. God said, I'll give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet when they got there, it was like a desert full of rocks. doesn't it mean it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It wasn't necessarily a land flowing with milk and honey. You know what you find in Israel today? In, in, in the late 1800s, um, oh, geez, I just draw a blank. Um, who went through the land of Israel and said it was a desert wasteland? Mark Twain. Mark Twain. Mark Twain traveled through Israel in the 1890s. He took pictures. He said he walked for three days. He didn't see another human soul. He said it was like the Sahara Desert. It was, it was just a desert wasteland, he called it. And you go in that same area where Mark Twain was today, and it's, it's growing bananas, and it's, it's tropical, and it's, it's, it's one of the largest exports of flowers and fruits in the world in that place. And it's a, it's a, it's a metropolis of, of, of finance and success and of, of everything you could imagine in Israel today. And the, and that's the idea, that this is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that had potential with, with, with God's blessing and with labor and with work. And, and just like with anything, the land was flowing with milk and honey. They got there, the land was full of giants. The land was full of the Canaanites, and, and the land was full of battles. Any of you guys read the book of Joshua lately? The first eight chapters are, are really good. The whole, the whole thing is good, of course. But then you get like past chapter 9, and it's just like, bloody, gory, just fighting and just lots of blood through the rest of Joshua as they're just going and just slaughtering and, 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 and fighting battle after battle after battle of, 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 of what was taking place in the promised land. And again, it's all a picture of our life and your life that God's given you a land flowing with milk and honey, has given you a blessing in your life, but there's battles and we got to fight those battles and we got to do the work and we got to, you know, stay under the spout where the blessing comes out. In verse 6 it says, Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. It's one of the ways we're following the progression of Jeremiah, right? He was told in chapters 9 and 10 to go stand in front of the temple, and those were the temple proclamations, and now he's told to go into the streets of Jerusalem and hear the words of this covenant and do them. And then again, this is the, um, the broken covenants. It says that right above uh, chapter 11, For I earnestly exhorted your father's in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of, of his evil heart. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. You know, the Bible says, in the time of the judges, and the seasons that every man did um, continually, even he did what was in his own heart. The Bible says about you, about you and I that your heart is desperately wicked and above all things who can know it. You know, and the depravity of the human heart, it, apart from Jesus, has potential to sink pretty low. You know, and it's Jesus that rises that up and it's, it's leading and, you know, that's why the world got it so wrong with this whole, you know, it's a little bit older now, but, you know, there was this push when I was like in high school and it was like this, The world needs self-esteem, and there was all these self-esteem classes, and everything was about giving the young people self-esteem, and the answers are within yourself, and look in yourself, and and self, self, self. It's completely the opposite of what Jesus teaches, and it wasn't the answer. And again, the world could not have gotten it more dead wrong that the answers aren't within ourselves, and it's not a self-esteem problem. We, we, We pretty much think pretty highly of ourselves, really, and we love ourselves pretty well problem is we need Jesus and not, not self that there is no answers in ourselves the answers are in Jesus and so this is what he's saying that, that each man did what was what was right in his own mind in his own heart and apart from the lord that's that's dangerous and in verse 10 it says they have turned back to the iniquities of their fo- of their forefathers who refused to hear my words and they have gone after other gods to serve them the house of Israel and the house of Judah. They have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Now, they're going after these other gods, and he's going to talk about Baal twice in this chapter coming up. And, you know, one of the things that, that um, I think is important is that David was called the man after God's own heart. And, again, we see major, major letdowns in the life of David, sinful just, just choices and, and decisions and things that King David did. But one of the things that King David was never even remotely closely guilty of is going after other gods as it just said in verse